0: But I want to know, have you guys ever had a moment where your instructions for someone uh, somehow ended up morphing and changing into something that wasn't exactly what you had in mind? I think we've probably all been there. And I remember this story uh, back in March of 2020, right when the world was the way it was. You know how it was. Crazy. I had just gotten back from building with Jason. um, And I was sitting on my bed, trying to go to bed, and NBA basketball was on. And it was the moment that they canceled the first game. And I knew things were about to get real crazy if they're shutting down sports. If the world is shutting down sports, something's bound to happen. So I told Danielle, like maybe we should go to the store, get a few things to make sure we're stocked up, ready to go, because you know people be crazy, right? In Indiana we know how snowstorms, what they do to people, right? So go to the store, get a couple things. So she went and the next day she got home and I was like I normally do, cooking a full four course dinner for my family. Uh, And she pulls in, you guys don't believe me? (laughs) Don't ask Danielle, just don't confirm it, it's okay. So she pulls into the driveway, and I open up the trunk to the van. It is filled to the brim of stuff. Stuff. I I believe that she single-handedly created the toilet paper shortage in America. (laughs) She had probably two or three of those giant, like, mega ultra packs, and then she bought milk. Not one gallon, not three gallons, not five gallons, seven gallons of milk. And I don't even like milk. I don't drink it unless there's warm chocolate chip cookies, okay? And we had two boys that were three and five, so they didn't drink a lot of milk either. We gave away six gallons of milk to friends and neighbors, because she somehow, the instructions got out of whack, and she said, well, I got there, And I saw they were out of hand sanitizer, so I went a little crazy. I don't know how you went from no hand sanitizer to seven gallons of milk, but she did. I just say yes, dear, and I move on. Thankfully, we didn't spoil six gallons of milk because I wasn't drinking it. This morning, we are going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. The last few weeks, we've been looking at six different instances where Jesus addresses where you may have heard it said this, but I tell you this. And this morning we're going to look at these last two statements like this where, similar to Daniel at the grocery store, people have taken some very simple instructions and just ran with them and gotten out of hand. So we will be reading Matthew 5, verses 38 through 48. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We're gonna start this morning looking at verses 38 through 42. And to understand this section, you kinda have to understand the law of retribution. The law of retribution states that if you cause harm or pain to someone, you will be punished equally to the suffering that was caused to the other person. We find this law a few places in the Old Testament, but what Exodus 21, 23 says about this law of retribution. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye to eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And honestly, this whole chapter in Exodus is dedicated to laying everything out for this law of retribution. So by the time Jesus is speaking about this law, you had a lot of people who looked like pirates who had never been to the dentist. And just for fun, I decided, what would some of our staff look like as pirates? Well, let's see, there we go, I like that. What's the next one? Let's see who looks good. There we go. Okay, we can move on. That was just for fun. If you are in the office this week and you just heard me dying laughing, that's what I was working on, so everything's okay. But as Jesus does, he flips things upside down. Up to this point, most people have stood up for the sake of justice and revenge in all situations. But is that really what the kingdom of God really founded on? Now some of you may be asking, is God really asking me to be a doormat? Am I really supposed to let people smack me in the face, take my clothes, and do forced labor? Am I really supposed to let people walk all over me? No, you don't, he doesn't. We see countless passages calling us to stand up for the oppressed and for the left out. We see times where the disciples and Jesus instruct us to resist evil, and even publicly rebuke fellow believers for their sin. And Romans 13 lays out how we should submit to the government when it comes to resisting and punishing those who do wrong. But what God is calling us to do is to put our selfish desires, our personal rights, our pride, and what we want and lay it aside for the sake of others. And if it sounds like a tall task, It is. We love nothing more than getting even and making sure people get what they deserve. The first thing I think we see from this passage is a desire for reconciliation and not judgment. Reconciliation, not judgment. Here's the deal. I know many of us struggle with this, myself included it's so easy for me to see somebody who has wronged me and to feel the need to retaliate or to judge. And how do I know many people struggle with this? It's because I follow people on social media. I can hardly have a day where someone isn't calling out some company, some organization, some individual for some terrible thing that they have done. And honestly, I'm guilty of it too. I have a love-hate relationship with the memories on Facebook because I see cute kids of my pictures when they were young and myself when I had hair, and it was, it's a beautiful thing to look at. But then I have equally cringe moments where I have to sit there and delete a few posts for a little while because I'm, I'm not proud of some things that I've said on social media. And I'm pretty sure no matter how hard I look in Scripture, I will never be able to justify a very public humiliation of someone for the sake of warning others. You won't find it. And let's face it, in each of these circumstances, being slapped in the face, which may seem like physical abuse, but being slapped on the right cheek is more of an insulting act than it was a physical abuse. To losing clothes, to being forced into labor, these people have every right to get upset and to have no desire to do anything more than what is required of them. So why would I want to be over-the-top kind to, to these people? And honestly, if somebody's treating you like this, my guess is they're probably far from God. And we have to choose whether we will seek reconciliation in the name of Jesus or judgment in the name of yourself. Romans 12, 17 through 19 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful what to do, what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Notice it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This means you do everything you can to be at peace and reconciled to all people and how they respond and how they treat you is up to them. We can only control our own feelings. We can control our own actions. So are you willing to go the extra mile to live at peace no matter how people treat you? The second thing I see in this passage is unquestioned generosity. Unquestioned generosity. Now Jesus understands here that the crowd is fixated on what it says in Deuteronomy 19 and the law of retribution. That's another place where it states that law. But they tend to ignore the words in Deuteronomy 15, starting in verse 7. It says, if anyone is poor among you, your fellow Israelites, In any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed, freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to arbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work And everything you put your hand to, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So Jesus wants them to understand that they should be people marked by unquestioned generosity and not by a close-fisted living. Jesus' words here challenge us to live a life marked by generosity and not putting your own possessions or your own desires above the needs of others. Honestly, I was just this spring reminded of how poor I am in this area And sometimes. We were recently uh, cleaning out what we'll call treasures from our house, right? Uh, Some people have a junk drawer. We have a junk room and a junk basement that was just full of treasures. So we were having a yard sale to sell our treasures, okay? So we were getting all of our old, the boys old clothes up and we had boxes and Danielle was amazing. As, she, as the kids grew out of them, she labeled every box of every size. It was awesome. So we were pulling out all these boxes, and I noticed the whole size and a half was gone. So I said, Danielle, where, where, where are all these clothes? She then reminded me we gave all these clothes to a family who received a couple of foster kids right as COVID shut the world down, and they weren't able to get clothes for the kids. And you may think my first thought was, man, I'm so grateful we could follow Scripture and be generous— with our stuff and live open-handed, but it wasn't. My first thought was, dang it, we could have made some money off of that. I could have probably gotten 10 bucks and maybe some ice cream or something. And I'm ashamed in that moment I was too worried about myself and filling up my wallet and what I had lost out on rather than the fact that our family was able to help two boys in need. Jesus' words of generosity are not easy. We will be inconvenienced, it will cost us our time, it will cost us our possessions, and it will cost us our money. But what we receive from our generosity is way better than anything we will ever lose. Before we move on, I wanna read 1 Peter 2, 22 through 23. It says this about Jesus. Says, he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insult at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. I think this is a perfect example of this passage in Matthew that we should follow. Jesus committed no sin and did no wrong, but was willing to give up his own rights for the sake of you and for the sake of me. And what an example that we have to follow. As we look at this next portion of Scripture, I want to reread Matthew 5, 43 through 47. You've heard it that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So what does it mean to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy? Here's what John Scott says. He says, to love them ardently is to desire that they will repent and believe and so be saved. And to hate them is to desire with equal adore that if they refuse to repent and believe that they will incur God's judgment. And honestly, when I first read that quote, it brought me to tears because I have enemies in my life, I have people that I have not cared for and that I wanted nothing to do with, but to read this and to think that my love for someone means my ultimate desire is for them to love Jesus and be saved, and to hate someone is my ultimate desire is for them to incur God's wrath was incredibly difficult to hear. Who am I to wish God's wrath on someone? For if we are honest with ourselves, we're no better than our enemies. And within this section of the sermon, There's a few more truths I want to talk about. Jesus shows us here that love has no boundaries. Love has no boundaries. You see, we are quick in our lives to add boundaries and limitations to things that God does not want them to exist. That is the whole reason Jesus had to bring this up in the first place. The Old Testament commanded people to love their neighbor. It said nothing about hating their enemy. But if there's one thing I know humans are good at is if we say something enough, we will begin to believe it to be truth. If people started to add that we should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, even though Jesus never says that, the Old Testament never says that. And Jesus makes it clear here, there are no boundaries, there are no limitations to who we love and who our neighbor is. It goes beyond our political parties, our social status, and our sexual orientation. And just because you love someone and you are a good neighbor to someone does not mean you agree with their sin. Because if we all were only loving and all only neighbors with the people who we agreed with their sin, we all would be very lonely people. Love has no bounds. And Jesus wants us to understand that all people are made worthy of love because all people are made in the image of God, and there is no compromising that. This is honestly why a focus of our church is this for movement. You've probably heard it before. We believe that we are called to be people who are for what God is for. Romans 8:31. If God is for us, who can be against us? We want to be a church known for what we are for. We want to be, as, as a church body, that we are being good neighbors. And as individuals and families, we are finding ways each and every day to show our neighbors that we are for them. And I've had countless people ask me what this four magnet is on my car. Has anybody else had anybody ask you what the four magnet's for? I love it. That's awesome. It has spurred some great conversations with the people around, around me, helping them understand that God is for you, so I am for you. And honestly, if you don't have a sticker and a magnet, and if you want to be a part of this calling to love your neighbor, you can find some in the coffee shop this morning. We would love for you to grab one. The next thing we see here is a response of prayer. A response of prayer. Verse 44, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So immediately following our call to love our enemy, Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute you. But let's also make something clear here. Our call to love and our call to prayer really isn't that different. If to love someone really means desiring what is best for them, even if they are far from God, isn't going to God on their behalf one of the best things you can do for somebody? But I understand. Some of you may be thinking, you don't understand what this person has done to me. You don't understand how he is hurt me you don't understand what i've experienced how and i how in the world can i pray for my enemy who has just done such terrible things to me and let me just acknowledge that this is a very real difficult thought for many of us i acknowledge that the hurt is real but also god makes it clear in scripture that his desire is for reconciliation and for us to love our neighbors no matter how deep the hurt is i believe prayer is the best way to start the healing process. I love what Friedrich Bonhoeffer says about praying for your enemy, but I want you to understand, Bonhoeffer was a German pastor, and he was very anti-Nazi, and a very vocal opposer of Hitler. Eventually in 1943, he was arrested by the Gestapo, transferred to a concentration camp where he was hung in 1945. And here's what he says about praying for your enemy. He says, through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, Stand by his side and plead for him to God. John Scott goes on to say about this. He says, if intercessory prayer is an expression of what love we have, it means to increase our love as well. It is impossible to pray for someone without loving them and impossible to go on praying for someone without discovering that our love for them grows and matures. We must not therefore wait before praying for an enemy until we feel the some love for them in our heart. We must begin to pray for them before we are conscious of loving him, and we shall find our our love break first into a bud and then a blossom. Jesus seems to have prayed for his tormentors, actually, while the iron spikes were being driven through his hands and feet. Indeed, the tense suggests that he kept praying, praying, kept repeating, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If the cruel torture of crucifixion could not silence our Lord's prayers for his enemies, what pain, pride, prejudice could justify the silencing of ours. And if that doesn't convict you, I don't know what will. If the cruel torture of crucifixion could not silence our Lord's prayers for his enemies, what pain, pride, prejudice could justify the silencing of ours? Prayer must be foundational to loving our neighbors and our enemies. It's not either or, it has to be both the last thing we see is to expect nothing in return. Expect nothing in return. Luke six thirty five, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. It's really easy for us to to be connected and to stay connected to our people. Each of you probably have close family, go close friends, coworkers, people in your life that you know care about you and, and they will reciprocate the love that you have for them. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 5:46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Jesus is challenging us to love those, pray for those, be generous with those outside of our circles and we should expect nothing in return. It doesn't mean it will always be that way, but the reward we will receive from God will far outweigh anything anyone could return to us for our love. And finally, to end today's passage, Jesus' final words in this section are hard to swallow. Matthew 5, 38. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This verse honestly perfectly bookends this section of the Sermon on the Mount You see, right before Jesus starts into these verses, you have heard it said, but I say, right before that Matthew 5.20, he says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And as much as the Pharisees were hypocrites and they did a lot of things in secret, if you were grading people on how well they followed the law, the Pharisees and the teachers, they were at the top of the class. They followed it. And so when Jesus says this, the crowd really isn't sure what they have to do then to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus answers the question finally here. He says, You must be perfect as God is perfect. But perfection is nothing we can achieve on our own. We need a mediator, we need someone to fill the gap when inevitably we will fall short. We need Jesus. Perfection and holiness will never be achieved on our own, so how do we achieve this perfection, this righteousness that God desires? 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him we might become the righteousness of God. We can be the people God desires for us to be when we have faith and when our identity is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we can now be reconciled with Christ and we are no longer his enemy simply because of Jesus. So many of us try so hard to achieve something that you will never achieve. You will never outserve your sin. You will never outgive your sin. You will never outpray your sin. You will do nothing to cover up your sin. So stop trying. Stop trying to do what Jesus has already done for you by giving up his lone life so that we could find life in him. You will not find perfection that Jesus calls about. You will not find this holiness apart from the cross. And the beautiful thing is this gift is free for all who receive it. And honestly, I would be remiss if we didn't take a moment right now to take communion. Jesus calls us to this ultimate holiness, this ultimate perfection, and we can't reach it without Jesus. Isaiah 53, four through seven. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was cruised for our iniquities, The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. The Lord has laid the iniquity of us. Oh, would you take the bread? Jesus, we thank you for this body, your body that was pierced for our transgressions. And this this morning we eat it we remember your sacrifice. If you would take the cup. Jesus, we thank you for the blood that was poured out as an offering for us. Let's take now what what are we supposed to do with this challenge this calling to not resist an evil person and to love our enemies these words from Jesus are extremely hard and challenging and to summarize everything this morning I would say this is that we are called to live a life of radical selflessness to live a life of radical selflessness I think one of the hardest things for us to understand is that we are not the main character of our own story. That title goes to Jesus. But if we wanna be people of reconciliation, people of unquestioned generosity, who have no boundaries of our love, that pray for enemies and expect nothing in return, we have to take a backseat and live a life of radical selflessness to lift high the name of Jesus above every other name. This morning, the band's gonna come out in a second. We're going to pray. And during this song, if you've made yourself the star of the show, if you've lifted up your own name above every other name, and never surrendered and lived this selfless life that God desires for us, I would encourage you to come down. And we would love to talk to you about what it looks like to lay your life down for the sake of Jesus and to give your life to Christ. Or honestly, if you're like me, You feel like you're in this constant struggle of, Jesus, I got this, I'll get you later. Okay, Jesus, I need you now. Okay, Jesus, I got it now. If you live this constant struggle, you sometimes forget that, okay, Jesus is in charge. He's the main character of the show, not me. And you need a prayer. We would love to pray for you. We'll have people down front. We would love to minister to you and to pray for you as we all daily struggle together to lift high the name of Jesus above every other name. You're not in this alone. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the cross and the price that you paid for us. A price that we can never pay ourselves. And God, thank you for sacrificing your son for us. And God, I I pray that as we live today, this week this month, this year God that we would take a back seat that we would live this selfless life of loving our enemies praying for those who persecute you, or persecute us God that you would live in the forefront of our lives and we would follow your lead God we love you